So we're up to the section in 1 Corinthians 12 that speaks of specific spiritual gifts. Uh, and last week I took the opportunity to kind of duck across to the other most significant spiritual gift passage, which is in Romans 12 last week. And I did that for a particular reason. The gifts that we're looking at today, in a sense, would be the more spectacular. A bunch of these gifts would be the more spectacular gifts. And uh, sometimes I think if you deal with the ones that are a little bit more ordinary, which a bunch of them in Romans 12 kind of look like, they kind of get lost out in the racket if you deal with the more spectacular ones first up. So what I wanted to do is just duck across to Romans 12, give you a sense about spiritual gifts that are as legit as anything that we're looking at today. Uh, And it was great last week to be praying for a whole bunch of people who felt God wanted them to excel and to be in kind of spiritual gifts, kind of super league, not just base level, kind of this is an all play for every Christian, but I want to do really well at serving and mercy and a bunch of those really cool things that, uh, that, that I, I, I was just thrilled to do that. That was just great. So I, I think the fact that 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and 1 Corinthians in general is trying to correct things and are not going well in the local church in Corinth tells us something about the kind of gifts that were operating in the church of Corinth. Um, and it tells you about the kind of gifts that people were stressing in divisive ways. And we always need to come back to the fact that gifts aren't about you. Ultimately, they're not about you being able to do what you want to do. They aren't about you being able to do something fancy. They aren't about you being significant and important. They're about God. They come from God. They're energised by God. And the focus is on God. People are meant to see Jesus. And one of the things that I've been trying to just kind of build into your thinking is maybe just to take a few steps away from this notion that you get a gift and then you become that for the rest of your life and more around the idea that God kind of slings out gifts when he needs to sling out gifts to get the body going well and for things to prosper really well. Okay, that's, that's kind of where we've been going with that over the last few weeks. So if you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12, we're just going to read verse 4 to 11 again. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 11. One Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, uh, starting in verse 4 there. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit the making plain of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And as if to bookend it, You notice it started with the Spirit. Look at the last verse in that section. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So it's almost as though the Spirit has a sack full of gifts and he just hands them out to whoever he thinks it's appropriate to give them to for whatever purpose he wants to achieve in the body. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about this list of gifts 
is that Paul doesn't explain most of these gifts. He doesn't actually say what they are. Now, some of you go, well, what's the point of that? Well, what does that mean? Well, that's interesting because it's actually, when you look in the Scriptures, the Scriptures actually don't go into massive detail, teaching detail about this is what this spiritual gift is. You can kind of go to other parts of Scripture and you can go, oh, yeah, okay, so I've seen faith somewhere else, so it's probably got something to do with that. But to have this definitive, you know, for me to walk in today and give you a definitive spiritual gifts list with a definitive kind of definition about exactly what all of them are, it just doesn't seem like Paul's that interested in this. You notice that? He just doesn't do it. Now, you can get a sense of what they are from other parts of Scripture, and that's what we're going to do today, but we just want to be a little bit careful about making our own kind of complete, definitive, nailed-down definition of what each of these gifts are. I don't think that's Paul's intention. What's Paul's intention in telling you about different spiritual gifts? What, what do you think his intention is? Anyone like to have a punt? Yeah, the people's faith would be strengthened, the, the common good. It's, it's all the things that we've been talking about in, these, in this series, that it's up to the Spirit to give whatever He wants to give. And do you know what? I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think that the Spirit gives extra special giftings that we haven't even read in Scripture. I, I, think, I think that's possible. It's not like, oh, right on, now the Holy Spirit's he's limited now. Like he's given 13 different spiritual gifts, so however many it is across Scripture, sorry mate, you can't go outside that, that's what it is and this is exactly what each of them is. I don't think that's how it works. I think Paul's just kind of going, here's a spirit, he's got this bag full of help and grace that comes from the spirit and he's just going to start handing these gifts out around the place for the good of the body. And here's some examples. So what we're going to do today is just zip through really quickly each of the gifts here that uh, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 4 to 11 so let's kick in the first one is wisdom he knows that wisdom's important man let's just have more wisdom in the project and I'm not saying that because we don't have it but you can never have too much isn't that true you know it's what's wisdom well wisdom is just like it's guidance in life it's like just up-to-the-minute kind of knowledge, the application of knowledge in the context of, of moral kind of issues. Maybe you've been in a situation where um, there's a confused situation or something's out of perspective or you just kind of need a frame of reference and sometimes what can actually happen in those situations is someone comes in with this crystal clear clarity about wisdom that just kind of just discerns what's going on and helps everyone to be clear about stuff. I think one of the classic biblical uh, stories of wisdom is the story of Solomon, isn't it? You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians, oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians, he's not in 1 Corinthians, 1 Kings 3. What happens? Well, at the beginning of that chapter, Solomon, God kind of comes up and gives Solomon the genie question, right? Which you all kind of, sometimes we dream about, all right? It's like, I'll give you anything that you want. And that's what he did. He came up to, God came to Solomon. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? And he says, I, he was a king. He said, I want to be wise so I can rule people well. And the very next story that actually happens is this story where two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. And both of them had had a baby within about three days of each other. And one of the babies had died. And they, they were living in the same house at the time. And one of them the one whose baby had died, came and swapped babies in the middle of the night. 
And so, um, the one who ended up with a, a dead baby, who had the live one, um, you know, she obviously just went, this is not my baby. That other one's my baby. So there's this contention about whose baby, whose baby it is. So what do you do? You go and you talk to the king. You talk to the, the wise king Solomon. And this is held up in the scriptures as a, 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 just a great example of the wisdom of Solomon. So they come to the king and there's an argument, obviously, and not a stand-up shouting argument, but there's a, there's a disagreement there. Uh, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. So what does King Solomon do? He orders for them to bring a sword. Not the prostitutes, but get me a sword. I'm going to cut this baby in half and I'm going to give half to you and half to you. Which is an incredibly wise thing to do, isn't it? Because some of you are going, well, wait for this. Wait for this, right? But it is, right? And here's the wisdom of it. The wisdom is that when someone's angry and upset and possessive about something, they'll take it anyway that they can get it. And that's what happens. The mother who is actually the mother of this living child says, don't do that. The other one says, go right ahead and we'll have half each because if I can't have it, you're not going to have it either. And Solomon goes, give the baby to that mother, the mother who said, don't kill it. Pretty wise, isn't it? Pretty wise. Can you uh, duck across in your scriptures to the, uh, the book of Proverbs? Just go to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Now we need wisdom. When we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about people just getting smarter about things, but people growing in their understanding of God and their reliance and their trust in Him. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, you know this one, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own what? Understanding. And all of you just go, yeah, it's easy. Not. Has anyone, have you ever struggled with that? Like that? I learned that as a kid in that verse, right? And you, and you just, like, you know, yeah, okay, so you don't lean on your own understanding. I just go, well, I'm not sure how much of the day I don't lean on my own understanding. You know, you just kind of default to that. And I think the, the, the truly human kind of thing to do is that you don't, you just don't do that. I think that's telling you what a human does, the way that God made it. You don't, it's always this interplay between you and God where you're asking God for help and for his wisdom in everything. I mean, I remember as a younger guy, uh, it's terrible to have to say that now, but as a younger guy, I remember having some major software kind of meltdown on this computer. And do you know, I caught myself, and I, because I, for a sec there, I, I realised I didn't think that God could really help with computers. Like, he can do all this other stuff, but he can't do computers. I just go, hang on. No, he's, he's incredibly wise. I should actually pray for this computer. Go across to Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear... So this is, this is kind of an awe kind of fear, not scared kind of fear. This is an awe kind of worshipful fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So let's have more wisdom and insight in the project. Well, how do you get that? You, ha- you get that from God himself. Go, go back to Proverbs 3, verse 7 and 8. This is immediately after the verse that we just read. Proverbs 3, verse 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own what? Eyes. Oh, he's a wise guy. 
fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Listen to this. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Who knows that's true? When someone comes in with a word of wisdom, it is refreshing and healing. Have you ever noticed that? It's clarifying. It's helpful. All of a sudden, the fog of war kind of lifts, you know, and, and the noise of battle just kind of just dies off a bit and you just go, oh, I can see everything really clearly. And I've, I've seen that. I've seen that in the project. Now, who is the guru? I shouldn't put it that way, should I? That's the other team. But who is the legend when it comes to wisdom? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. He, he just had a whole bunch of people who just wanted to kill him all the time. Like I read the other day, like uh, John chapter 11 is a story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, right? And all these, you read on in John and, it's, and it says all these people started getting saved because Lazarus had been risen from the dead, right? And then it says the Jews decided they're going to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. And it's like, that's not going to scare him. <laughs> like he's already done it once, right? But here's the thing, Jesus had a whole bunch of people around the place that wanted to kill him and they were always plotting against him and trying to trap him. And you, and you know it. I mean, Jesus is the legend of the counter-question, isn't he? Sorry, a bit of a blowout there, isn't he? I mean, anyone who knows Joe Bielke Peterson knew that he always used to answer a question with a question. Well, not always, but a lot of the time. And Jesus was an absolute ace at that. Colossians 2, 2 to 3 tells us this, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as you grow in Christ, you're growing wisdom. Wisdom is not a separate reality that you just have to get. The, the true wisdom that the Bible talks about comes from connectedness to God. Let God give the gift of wisdom in the project. Amen. What about this one? Go to uh, knowledge. So just duck back across to 1 Corinthians 12. This is uh, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 12. For the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now, you probably have heard of people talking about words of knowledge that God gives people. Now, what kind of knowledge is this? Well, we're not really told what kind of knowledge it is, okay? Um, it could be knowledge in general, or it could be knowledge of mysteries, because Paul actually uses, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2, he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he's kind of talking about mysteries there. So it's not just knowledge about scripture, it's not just knowledge about who God is, it's knowledge of mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14, 6 says a similar thing. Um, it, it speaks of this kind of mysterious knowledge that people can have. Now, the bottom line is this, I think a word of knowledge is both. <laughs> I think word of knowledge is um, the knowledge of God, but it's also this mysterious knowledge where you know something that uh, you probably shouldn't know. Go across to Acts 5 with me. Acts 5. Starting at verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now some of you are going, oh, that's interesting, why is that happening? Go back to the end of, verse, of chapter 4, I should say. 
And you'll know that uh, there was a guy called uh, Joseph. So verse 37 of chapter 4, he sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So straight up, the, uh, just the, the way that the writers actually set up Acts, you just go, yeah, okay, I see that there's something cooking here. All right, there's something that's just kind of not right that's going on here. So a guy genuinely has sold his property and given the money to the church and then Ananias and Sapphira have come along and just gone, oh, okay, we want that kind of kudos too, so we're going to sell it, but we're going to keep some of the coin from it. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? How did he know that? God told him. God told him. Okay? It's a word of knowledge. It's, a, it's, it's knowledge into a mystery. And I think, without a shadow of a doubt, that God actually gets about that kind of stuff. The Spirit does that. You know, not only is there this broader kind of category of wisdom, knowledge that's kind of embodied in the person of who Jesus is and, and knowing Scripture and... Um, but also there's this very specific, timely thing where the Spirit can actually tell someone something about someone's life or something that's actually going on. Next one, faith. Now, go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 there. Let's just uh, read the actual text. To another faith by the same Spirit. Now, this is not talking about the faith that gets you saved. And it's not even talking about faithfulness that comes as a result of someone's character. It's not talking about someone being an optimist. I read this quote this week, which I thought was uh, pretty good. J.B. Cabell says this, The optimist claims that we live in the best of all possible worlds, and the pessimist fears this is true. <laughs> Do you know what the gift of faith is? I think the gift of faith is a gift given by God to boost I read this this week, to boost the flagging morale of God's people. Amen? It's that person that just kind of flies in and you just go, where the heck did that come from? They come in with this great confidence in God and in His promises and that God's going to come through in a particular situation. Have you ever been in a situation where that's happened? It's all kind of doom and gloom, you know, the sky's falling on our heads and it's almost like this person, in a weird kind of way, rides on in a white horse and... And it's just like, no, this is going to be good. God's going to come through in this situation. Let's just not listen to what's going on at this point in time. I read this uh, Eastern saying this week, and I, I just love it. Faith is the bird that knows the dawn and sings while it is still dark. You see that? Lord knows, God knows that we need people like that in the church. Amen? Who, yeah. when it's dark and it's difficult... We just need someone to come in and just go, no, we need to look to God in this situation. He has promised something and we're going to be okay and he's going to get us through it. And you know the cool thing about the gift of faith? You don't have to be, there are no legends in the church, but some of you people think like that sometimes. Some of the people in God's church, you know, it's just like they're the legend, they're the professional. It's like, no, seriously, the gift of faith is just one of those things It's like, Man, that's open to the smallest child almost that can speak. Amen? What parent hasn't ever heard that from their kid when they're like three years old? You know? I remember sitting in, um, in the car with one of my kids and um, struggling with some, some of my own temptations. And one of my boys just came out of the blue and he said, You know what, Dad? You shouldn't worship anything but Jesus, should you? 
What's he doing? Well, my son at that point in time, he didn't know it, but he was directing my faith, wasn't he? It's just like, this is where we should be going. This is what we should be doing. It's not gullibility. It's not optimism. It's not easy believism. It's someone who stands firm on God's promises and operates with confidence and contributes with confidence. They look through the situation that's going on to see God himself and they bring confidence in the middle of that situation that God's going to act and good things are going to happen. Now faith is often linked to uh, healings, we'll get to that in a minute, and miracles. And you see it uh, in the life of Jesus on numerous occasions. I mean a a great text to go to if you want to find people that seem to exhibit the gift of faith in their lives, even if, albeit a bit patchy, is Hebrews 11, right? You know, he endured as seeing him who was invisible. (laughs) You know, it's just story after story of legends of the faith who trusted God in the midst of difficulty and trusted in his promises. And we need people like that in the church. God, would you give more people the gift of faith in the project? Yeah. I mean, I'd... I don't know, I, I, I don't feel like I have spades of that one. But I'll tell you something, I've been blessed out of my socks by people who do have it. Because uh, my realism tends into pessimism sometimes. And I uh, have people around the place with uh, the gift of faith who just come in, just kind of soar in there and just go, hey, that's, man, God is good and he's going to come through in this situation. You need to have confidence in that. Such a blessing, such a blessing. Gifts of healing. Go back to the text here. Come on. We're just going to keep going back there. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now, what's interesting about this is it's plural, right? It's not a gift of healing. It's gifts of healing. Well, what does that mean? Why is it plural? Well, we don't really know. (laughs) We just don't really know. I think one of the things Paul's doing here is he's saying, hey, listen, just expect God to operate in a whole bunch of different ways. Don't just have a narrow kind of thing about the way that he operates. Just know that God's going to bring healing to people in lots of different contexts, in lots of different ways. And have an open kind of expectation about how God's going to operate. And and one thing I want you to notice here is it's not saying God's going to give healers to the church. As though it's an identity statement. It's like he's going to give gifts that are going to bring about healing in the church. And he'll just hand those out. So the focus is on the gift, not on the person. I mean, think about it. How many areas do people need healing in? Yeah? Plenty. Like all over the place. So that's actually good news. So there's, you know, it's not like there's, God's got one pill and if you don't have that problem, then you're, you don't get healed. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? There's, there's not one prescription healing thing here. It's like multiples because God's got, interest, got a huge interest in bringing healing to people. Maybe, maybe what this is talking about is various gifts for various uh, troubles that people have. And it raises the question for us almost, doesn't it? Um, and I'll just ask it just because just you wanted me to. Do you turn to God for areas where you need healing? 
before you take the Panadol or the Nurofen. Do you? I'm not saying the Panadol and Nurofen is bad, but now I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to the doctor. But you can go to the doctor in a way that hopes in God and you can go into, to the doctor in a way that hopes in the doctor. True? And it's like that with Panadol. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take Panadol and you shouldn't take Nurofen or whatever. I'm just saying is your hope in God for that. Because God is a healer. God is a healer. Exodus 15, the Israelites have been brought out of Egypt. There the Lord made, them, made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your Healer. All right? Now, Lord your God. Yeah, we'll take, we'll take that one as well. All right? It's like AFL. You get a one point behind for that one. All right? But we'll give you something. Now, some of you go, yeah, but God doesn't always heal people when we want him to heal people. And I, I am of the uh, theological persuasion that God wants to heal everyone and God will heal everyone. I don't think there's any question about that at all. The only variation is a timing thing, okay? God promises to give you a new body one day because even if he does heal you right now, you're still going to die someday and you'll die because you're sick probably most of the time or something bad happens to you. Sorry, this is not very encouraging now, is it? (laughs) Who's got the gift of faith right now? (laughs) So there's never, for me... uh, Personally, I think theologically, and this is not a big sermon on healing, right? And we can probably do that sometime. Um, But there's never a question of God's desire and his willingness and the fact that he is actually going to execute that. The question is really a timing thing. So whenever the elders get together and pray for people's healing, we're just really saying, hey, we know that you're going to do this one day, but we'd like you to do it right now, please. Can you just set this person free? Can you heal them? And uh, God often does do that. And that's, um, that's really... Uh, exciting when that happens. Working of miracles, God uh, by His Spirit gives uh, the ability for people to do miraculous things. Um, people get raised from the dead, all right? It actually happens that God, you know, brings about that kind of healing. I mean, it's a fascinating story, and I don't want to segue into it because uh, we don't have the time, but uh, John 11, the story of Lazarus, it's a fascinating story where Mary and Martha just go, if we could just get Jesus here, Lazarus would be okay. And then he dies and it's just like, well, if you were here, it would have been all right. So they had this amazing kind of faith and trust in Jesus, but only for healing from sickness, not for raising from the dead. And he said, I'm going to do something that surprises you, really. That's what he did. He got up to something really surprising and he did something miraculous. Well, God still does that i mean acts 19 in the early church and god was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of paul so even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them am i saying that we're getting all the same stuff i'm not saying any of that all right because i think that's a weird kind of conversation to say oh do we get the same stuff that paul had and i was just going no we just well we've got the same spirit and he hands out gifts all right? And he can just do as he pleases. He can do as he pleases and he'll hand out gifts to people to, to, for the common good. But don't miss it. 
God will do miracles through his people who give the gift of doing a miracle. Uh, prophecy, I'm going to go through these really, prophecy in tongues really quickly. Prophecy, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on this because most of the rest of 12 to 14 is about tongues and prophecy. So we're not going to spend heaps of time here. But just to say this to you, uh, most biblical prophecy is actually not about foretelling. Okay, if you go back to the Old Testament, most biblical prophecy is actually about calling people to faithfulness to God. So if you, let me give you these two categories. There's a part of prophecy that's foretelling, which is predictive, right? It predicts the future. There's a part of it, and this is most of it, which is forthtelling, which, which means to make something public, okay? So when we're thinking about prophecy, I do think that God gives words of prophecy in a foretelling way, but most of it probably is forthtelling. One of them's kind of telling the future, and one of them, in a sense, is declaring who God is in the present to people. And really, prophecy is about someone giving a message that they've received from God. Now, in a sense, I do, I think that I do prophecy on a Sunday morning when I preach. Okay? I just think I do. I think that's part of it. It's, what am I doing? I'm forthtelling. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 30 says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So there's this, there's this sense in which it's not just foretelling, but there's something really current and, and kind of up to date and in the present that the Spirit's kind of led someone in and then they actually get to say that. Now some of you have kind of had this happen and sometimes this gets a bit messy and I think language is a really, really critical thing. Like I just think it's really uncool to say, God told me this. All right, Because I think when you say God told me this, you're claiming a kind of divine authority that Isaiah and Ezekiel had and I just don't think that when you look at New Testament prophecy, which we'll get into, that it, it, it's just not on the same level as the biblical prophets. In fact, you test it with the biblical prophets. They've got authority over it. But yet at the same time, we shouldn't actually despise it. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not despise prophecies. So what we need to do is we need to work out a way to actually handle prophecy and we'll get into this in the coming weeks but we need to work out a way that handles prophecy in a way that opens up the opportunity for the spirit to actually speak to the church through people without claiming divine authority in it because we do need to test it and we need to hold fast to what is to what is good more on that to come distinguishing between spirits now this is probably one of the more perplexing ones. There's lots of different ideas about what distinguishing or discerning between spirits actually is. Uh, I would just suffice to say this morning, um, it's, it's the ability, I think, to recognise the influence of the Holy Spirit as opposed to the influence of evil spirits or the devil in something that's going on, whether it be a spectacular kind of display of something um, or it be in words that people are actually saying. So the classic example, you should go uh, have a read of 1 John chapter 4, uh, the first five or six verses in there. 1 John, 1 John 4 verse 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what you've got there is you've got people who are going out and they're speaking things that aren't right, and they're false prophets, and someone who has, possibly, someone who has the uh, gifting to discern between spirits is someone who can actually discern whether what someone is saying is a false prophet is the correct thing or not. Does that make sense? But it's a, little, it's a tricky one. I mean, there's lots of people all over the map, I think, on what, what they think about what this one is. But I think that's a pretty kind of safe one, which is the ability to discern when something is actually being driven and given its energy by the devil or evil spirits and, and when it's not. Last one. Um, tongues. There's two... General, we're gonna, this is another one that we're going to go to, so I'm, not, I'm probably going to give you enough information to be unhelpful and not enough information to be helpful. But the big ideas are, uh, here with tongues is that you've got a, a type of tongues that's speaking in another language that people can actually hear um, uh, in a different, in their own dialect, I should say, in their own language. So that's Acts chapter 2. And uh, it is my view that in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, it actually speaks of a kind of uh, tongues, it refers to a kind of tongues in there that is a personal, almost a personal kind of prayer language that people have between them and God. The only time where it's not between them and God and an individual thing is when someone has the gift, excuse me, the gift of interpretation of tongues. Um, And it's really clear, I mean, you go to 1 Corinthians 14, it's like super, super clear that if you don't have an interpreter, it's just between you and God, so do it quietly to yourself. It's meant to be very much a background. It's really hard in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 to see how tongues becomes a really prominent foreground thing where there's no interpretation of it. It very much looks like it's, it's a background thing between you and God and you should keep it, kind of keep it quiet unless you've got an interpretation of it. Um, why, would you, why would Paul say that? Because it doesn't help anyone. If no one understands it, it doesn't help anyone. And what's the point of what we're doing? The common good. Edification. So uh, that's why I think he says, in the comparison between prophecy and tongues, he says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue because it's more beneficial to the body. Now... Let me, uh, let me finish on this question and then we'll um, just a note here. We'll just do Q&A uh, in a moment. So if you uh, have got a question that you want to shoot through, you can do that. I see the Holy Spirit as being completely free to do as he pleases because he's God and God does as he pleases and giving out gifts to whoever he wants to give gifts out to. And I also see him as being infinitely wise. So I think if, if I was to hazard a guess as to what the Spirit would do with someone who felt like they were really important and they were indispensable and that they were pretty loud and proud about what gift they thought they had, I, I don't know. I just kinda, When I think about that, I just think of the Holy Spirit just going, okay, well, I might just keep those couple in my uh, bag here and I just won't give any more to them until their heart's in the right place. That, that's just that's the way that I see it, because I think that's the way that God operates. He's a good father, he knows how to give good gifts to his children. If he knows his children are going to OD on something, 
because their heart's not in the right place. I, I just don't think he gives it. So the trick for us, not the trick, the place that we need to be in is, uh, God, we just want to serve, or I want to serve your family, and I don't care about me. <laughs> I'll just do whatever you need doing in the place, and I'm really happy if no one knows about it or everyone knows about it. It doesn't even matter to me. I'll just serve you. Can you give me what I need to, uh, to serve you and serve your people?